of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, last week, I used quite a few illustrations. Paul was saying how we need to reach, for, reach forward towards that higher calling in Christ Jesus. And I used quite a few sports illustrations. I was rebuked after service for doing so <clears throat> because I did not include soccer, being World Cup and everything. I don't watch soccer. I don't, I'm just not into soccer, all right? I watched my kids play soccer, and that was kind of cool, but I did watch yesterday. I watched Brazil and Chile. I didn't watch the whole game because I don't watch soccer, but I watched the end, and it was exciting end. It really was. Shaney's waving. Hey, Shaney. No, don't. Not good. Bad. Don't tell who won. It was yesterday. Well, I got bad news, buddy. <laughs> You're about to be enlightened. <laughs> anyway, it came down, it was tied at the end, and they had a shootout, is all I'll say. And, you know, they just, they have a goalie there, and they kick balls at him, and he tries to block them. And just both those teams going in. For a sports team, you have to have confidence. You have to be confident what you're able to do. And, well, you've got to have a little bit of swagger. Swagger. And one team, well, one team left with their heads down, and one team swaggered even so much more. Miami Heat. Miami Heat, they were once again trying to win back-to-back championships. They lost. And they lost, I heard on ESPN, a little bit of their swagger. It gets even worse than that. LeBron James is now seemingly leaving the team, and he's taking some of that swagger with him. Swagger, it's to walk or behave with a confident strut. Not an arrogant strut. But in confidence, confidence, well, for the world, it's what they're able to do or what they've been able to achieve. We're to have a swagger about ourselves, not based upon what we're able to do, but based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished and what he's going to accomplish in our lives. As born-again believers, we can do so much better than any basketball team, soccer team, or anything else we have the Lord, and our swagger should be off the charts. Again, a confidence based upon the assurance of the salvation that I have in the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ and a reasonable expectation, even surety, of eternity. In 2 Corinthians four thirteen through 14 And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise up with Jesus, raise us up with Jesus, and present us with you. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples when they were losing their swagger? Again, he was telling them that he was going to be leaving, he was going to be put to death. He told them that he was going to be resurrected, but that never really sunk in, even after they saw the resurrected Lord. They were losing their swagger, their confidence in whom they have put their trust in. Their future seemed uncertain, and Jesus' impending death 
was almost upon him and they were coming to a realization of it. But Jesus told them in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and it's important to understand how the Lord was encouraging them in their confidence in what God was able to do. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, their heart was troubled at that point. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. I mean, it's just kind of thrown in there, but it should be in caps. Where I am, there you will be also. You who, as I have called you and said, come and follow me, and you did, as I go, there you have the opportunity to be with me also. Even though you see me hung upon the cross, it's not the end, actually, it's a beginning. And where I go, there you will be with me also. And as you go out into the mission field, and as you give of your life for the cause, there you will be with me also. Verse 4, and where I go you know, and the way you know. He goes on to tell us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What Jesus was given them was a surety of their future. In Acts chapter 4, verses 9 through, 19 through 20, but Peter and John answered and said to them, this is when they were told to no longer preach the gospel in the market square. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter, this is the same guy who when confronted by a slave girl, ran away, denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's being confronted by those who can take his life, and he's in their face, if you will. He's confronting them because he's got a boldness, because he knows that if this life is taken, I've got a better thing in store for me in heaven with my Father through the Lord. And so Paul wants to make in our scripture today the swagger, the confidence that we are to have. The knowledge of our future, well, the knowledge of your future will determine the boldness in your walk today. If you're confident in your future with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have a boldness about your life. The things of the world and the attacks from the world, they won't matter because they can't do anything to you. Not according to the big picture, they can't touch your future because that is hidden with Christ. Now, a while ago, Barna, those people who do the surveys, they conducted a survey that revealed 76% of Americans believe that there is a heaven. What was even more stranger is 64% believe that they were going there. I don't know what they based that upon. Well, you would think, well, this is wonderful news. I didn't even think half this nation was saved. And all of a sudden, we see that 76% want to be and 64% believe that they are. Well, if this was a country that did not believe in heaven and did not think that we would go there, there would be certain dynamics of that nation. That nation, well, they would be all about getting everything they can in this current life because, well, that's all there really is. Plastic surgery would be popular. Weight loss pills would be all over the internet. There would be fad diets ingrained into the nation trying to live as long as they possibly could in order to put off death because if you don't believe in heaven, this is all the heaven you're ever going to get. Crime would run rampant because you've got to grab for all the gusto that you can and if they got your gusto, at least the gusto that you want, you'll get it from them. 
morals would be done away with and people would live according to what was right in their own sight. Such a nation would expel God from its school system, recall Him from its government, and separate Him from their society. Pastor Mike, you just said that this country said it believes, but the description matches an unbelieving nation. Yes, this nation's attitude reveals that which the survey never can, its heart. Its heart. Yeah, I'm sure everybody hopes that they go to heaven if there is, in fact, a heaven in their own mind. But what they say is not reflected through their actions. So just so that we would know what the heart of the matter is this morning, we're going to look at the swagger of the saved, and we're going to look at the walk of the world. Four things mentioned here in chapter 3 as we close out chapter 3 in the book of Philippians. And the first thing that I want to see is is that a Christian swagger, it's learned by example. And the apostles saw that in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a point that it says that Jesus set his his face as flint towards Jerusalem. He knew what was waiting for him there. There was a cross. And that was obedient for him to go to the cross. He was going to have to take sin upon himself. But there was also a joy that was set before him because he knew that going to the cross was going to be the key that would unlock heaven, that would embolden the church, and we would see that Christianity would go throughout all of the world, throughout all of the ages. And if you look back in biblical history and even secular history, you will see that's exactly what had happened. And so Christian swagger, it's learned by example. Verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example, Paul writes. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So we've been looking at Paul's example when we started studying the book of Galatians and Ephesians and now in Philippians and we'll be plowing all the way through to the book of Revelation if the Lord doesn't come back before we get there, which probably be about 20 years. But nonetheless, we'll continue to plow forward. But what we're seeing is we're seeing Paul's example. We're seeing somebody unknown's example in the book of Hebrews. People believe it's Paul, but in fact we're not told. The Apostle John, we'll see his example, Jude and James and Peter, looking at their example as we continue to press forward. This example is not so much the person, but it's Christ in that person through the Word. The same example that you are to be setting within your family and out in your community. The Bible, if anything, it is rich in examples. And so... If you want to have swagger in your Christian... I just like saying swagger. If you like having swagger, if you want to have swagger, if you want to have confidence in your Christian life, do the elementary things. Do the first things. Romans chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. How then was it accounted? Well, we were just told that righteousness was accounted to Abraham. Abraham, because you have believed your righteousness... This is the righteousness of Christ upon you. It's accounted. It is put in account. It is waiting for you when you get to heaven. (coughs) How then was it accounted while he was circumcised? The idea is by doing some kind of religious work or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. 
and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of faith. And that's the key there. Walk in the steps of faith. What is a walk of faith? It's taken the first step. And the first step is salvation. Problem is, we're a one-step people so many times. Nobody ever takes the second step. Second step, after you take that first step, every other step is some form, some element of discipleship, of learning and growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you learn, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because we'll see some of these elements, but the more you learn, the more you're going to do. The more involved you're going to be, and the more, the more bolder, the bolder you will be in witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ. These steps of faith, again, they're baby steps, but they're so necessary and so important. It's so important to go on record. That's why I call for a public confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have faith in the Lord, you understand what He's done for your life and what He's able to continue to do for your life. And so you proclaim the Lord boldly and the best proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the day of your salvation. Here is where we learn to have confidence in our God through His Word, through prayer, through the existence of the Holy Spirit, and through, well, the Holy Spirit as our, our helper. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a little bit of a confusing statement, but next to substance you can write confidence. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Hoped for, trusting in God for your future. And so it's the substance, or it's the confidence that I have, my faith, trusting God that when I die, He truly has gone, and He truly has prepared a place for me. It's also the evidence of things not seen. Next to evidence, you could write conviction, the knowledge, the surety that I know, I know that God is with me today. I know what God has done for me. I have given my life over to this belief. It's what we're doing when we celebrate communion, ingesting those communion elements. And the idea is these elements have become part of my belief in such as they have. They become part of who I am. So when, excuse me, when will you have the beginning of a godly assured swagger in your Christian walk? When you trust in that which you cannot see, and it becomes bigger in your life than what you do see. Having a confidence in what I can't see, these promises given to me by God when they come bigger in my life than what I do see. Maybe a bank account, maybe a retirement account, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a... Again, you fill in the blank. The problem with those surveyed previously, they hope for heaven but do not believe in heaven, so it has absolutely no effect upon their life. That which you truly believe in will greatly influence your life. Secondly, if you want to have swagger about your Christian life, allow your belief to have personal impact. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, speak of the dynamic of that personal impact. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
And so we're talking about faith, talking about confidence in the Lord, and it's all based upon that I die, that I'm going to go to be with Him. But what about here now, today? Dying today. Dying for, to myself today, my desires. Dying to the delicacies of the world. Do you have a confidence in the Lord that you're going to be provided for in those things as well? Maybe even something greater, maybe even something better, so that you're willing to die to who you used to be. You don't know me. You only know half of me. You only know a portion of me. You only know the portion of the saved Mike. It was one of the requirements to become a pastor. you kind of got to be saved. You don't know the unsaved Mike. You don't know the things that the unsaved Mike did. You don't know how the unsaved Mike was. Now I try to use my, my voice, such as it is, to glorify God. Back then, I even used it to blaspheme God at times. But God changed me. And now, well, I, I think of the old Mike from time to time. Glad he's gone, but, but I'm just glad he's buried. Glad he's buried, never to be dug up again. Just to put him aside. This is to understand who you are in Christ and make the according changes or changes accordingly. Nothing kills a Christian's swagger like sin does. We are to die to sin. We are not to die in sin. We are to die to sin. To give that up. To no longer be part of it. Yeah, I know you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. There's not a one of us that's ever going to walk in perfection. But do you have a desire to walk in perfection? Do you have a desire to walk in purity? It's that which God blesses. And so, may your heart beat for the Lord and the things of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul said, When I was a child, or maybe you should look at it, when I was immature, I spoke as a child. I spoke as somebody who was immature. I understood as somebody who was immature. I thought as somebody who was immature. But when I became a man, when I became mature, I put away childless things. I need to put away all those things. I need to put away those things of, of, of unbelief. And even those things, when I, when I first came into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ought not to be the man that I was back then. I ought to be growing in the things of the Lord. And I ought to be able to look back even to this day, a year from now, and say that I'm even further along in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, if you want swagger, you better be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're starting the series, Elements of Theology, tonight, Lord willing. And tonight we're going to be looking at soteriology, a fancy way of saying the doctrine of salvation. I don't know exactly when, but in a couple weeks we're going to be looking at being filled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a difference between religion and it's a difference between relation. Now, not so much, and again, it's, it's an outward expression of who's dwelling inside of you, who's empowering you, who's enabling you, but I don't want you to look at your neighbor, or I don't want you to even ask your neighbor's opinion of yourself. I want you to look into the mirror that is in the Word, and you determine, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> one of those sections of Scripture that are nice for decorating children's ministries room, oh, look, the fruits of the Spirit. Or, you know, Vacation Bible School. We had the Fruits of the Spirit uh, Vacation Bible School one year. But how about when you look into the mirror? How about making it real in your life? In verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Live your life according to the Spirit. Remember, to be filled with the Spirit is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, walk in the Spirit or be under the influence of the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
the lusts of the flesh are still there. No matter how mature you get, the lusts for the flesh are still there. There's always that desire, there's always that need to die to those things. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not know, I'm sorry, you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. If I'm led by the spirit, I'm under grace. Verse 19, now this would be the fruits, if you will, of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbirths of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reviries, and the likes. He's saying this list is not all-inclusive. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, those who make those things an elementary thing of their lives, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there is, if those things stick out in your life, you're probably not saved. You need to go back and do the elementary things. You need to repent before God and get right with God and move forward. Are you saying that I can lose my salvation, Pastor Mike? No, I do not believe that you can lose your salvation. I'm saying you probably weren't saved. And you need to make sure. How can you swagger if you're not sure? How can you be confident if you have nothing to build that confidence upon? Verse 22, here's one of those, that word once again. But, but. Because if you look at the preceding ones, you can think it's all over for all of us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us be under the influence of the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Fourthly, for a Christian to have swagger in his life, he must embrace, I'll even go a little bit stronger, he must have a passion for maturity. You've got to grow, and that's probably one of the greatest travesties I see within the church today. Somebody walking down an aisle or raising a hand or whatever and considering themselves to be saved and then they just kind of go off. They, they got the fire insurance. I'm not going to hell, at least they believe. But there was never any commitment. But here we speak of maturity or we speak of discipleship. A commitment to learn, to know, and to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that's why you're all here today, so that you would know Jesus Christ better, have a closer relationship than when you walked in here to this place and when you leave, or vice versa, when you leave than when you first walked in. Our Christian lives are all about a slow, steady, progressive, growing growth process. Again, that's what Christianity is about after you're saved, is growing in the knowledge of Jesus. This is to be saved, to leave the things of the world behind, be filled with the Holy Spirit, then exercise wisdom in your Christian life. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. How can my swagger or my life of confidence in the Lord be used? How can I redeem the time? Through the Word being displayed in your, in your Christian life. Through somebody seeing your life and seeing the Word of God, although maybe they wouldn't recognize it, but also having the Word of God upon your tongue. When given the opportunity to speak the Word of God, that you speak it at every opportunity. 
It also, well, sign of maturity is through the integration of society by the mature believer into the fabric of what it is. That's what we've been called to do, to come here to grow in Jesus Christ, and then everybody scurry back to where you came from. And what I mean by that, back to your homes, back to your neighborhoods, back to your job, back to the school, wherever it is, and be a Christian, to act like a Christian, and to be heard as a Christian. And as we're doing those things, you've got the gospel going out into society. See, if everybody just sits here and endures this sermon, endures the word of God, well, it's just gone out to a select group of people. But just think, if everybody went out and lived this, think if everybody that is here today went out and said something based upon the study, what God has told you today, then this study is multiplied. The word of God is multiplied out into society, and that's what God's desire is. It's not just one guy standing behind a pulpit. It's people who have a desire to learn and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then go out and to make disciples as well. Through discipleship, through the discipleship of the more mature to the less mature, to take somebody on, to encourage somebody, to mentor somebody, to find somebody. And what's mentoring? What's discipling? Finding somebody that simply knows less than you do. Now, if you're having a hard time finding somebody less, you know, how do I know if the person next to me knows less than I do? We've got a classroom full of kindergartens that I guarantee you know less than you. And if you go in there and you find out that they're more mature than you are, we've got infants over here. There's always somebody that is less mature. It's the essence of discipleship. And it's exactly what Paul was telling Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2, through 2, You therefore, my son... And what Paul's saying here, just by calling him my son, Paul's believing I have duplicated this young man, you know, myself, and what God has called me to be, that he would be all that God has called him to be. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the things that you've heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so again, you see a progression here. There's Paul, and he's telling, and then Paul is telling Timothy, go out and tell somebody else. Tell somebody else in such a way that they in turn will go and tell somebody else. And we'll see Christianity go throughout the ages. And if you could see Paul today, you say, Paul, it worked. Or Timothy, you did a good job. Because that word that you were given, it's gone through all the way to 2014. June 29th, 2014. And... Well, it would be a travesty if it stopped with us here today. Because it's faith, the faith, the faith, the just shall live by faith. And really, it's not about just passing out Bibles. It's not just about you know, supporting a radio station. It's you sitting down one-on-one with somebody when given the opportunity and sharing what God has given to you. So, if you have swagger, if you have a confidence in the Lord, be an example. Be an example of the things that are written in the Scripture. Again, verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Remember the Apostle Paul? If anybody, Paul had a swagger. But how would you know when Paul was swaggering, there was the rattle of chains. When Paul was swaggering, he was also pulling along a Roman guard because at this point he's in a dungeon. 
He's chained to that Roman guard, but it hasn't stopped his sweat. Hasn't done anything to hinder his confidence in the Lord and what the Lord is able to do. Matter of fact, he's got somebody built in almost that he can evangelize, that he can share the word with. He understands that he can continue to encourage the church. And again, if you can talk to Paul, Paul, you encouraged Calvary Chapel, Ontario, even today with that letter that you wrote in that prison. I mean, what would you do? What would you be thinking How busy would you be if you were imprisoned for your faith and thought, oh great, after everything I've done, this is what I get. That's kind of how we can so easily be. Paul didn't have that attitude and we thank God that he didn't because we got God's wonderful word because of it. So an example, secondly, if what we have seen in the swagger of a born-again believer justifies who they are, at least helps, then what follows here in these scriptures, verses 18 and 19, is the walk of the worldly. <clears throat> For many walk of whom, I am told, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. The walk of the worldly, and the walk of the worldly even extends into the body of Christ. And I shouldn't say body of Christ, I should just say into the church. You can see the walk of the worldly even in the church, or at least what proclaims to be the church. Maybe some who, when surveyed, said they believe in heaven, but their walk, if it was surveyed, it would reveal that they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. They call themselves Christians, but what do they do? They live a life that opposes or hinders the gospel. How many times have you heard, oh great, there's those Christians again because somebody has, well, they've done or said whatever it is that they've done or said, contrary to the word of God. This would be an anti-evangelism that draws people away from the Lord rather than bringing people to the Lord. Paul said their end is destruction. Their path does not lead to peace. It does not lead to contentment. It does not lead to success in the Christian life, nor does it lead to joy. Instead, it leads to a life of ruin. And I'll even go a little bit further than that. It it, it brings people to a false sense of their salvation, that they think because they're in church, because they raised their hand, walked down an aisle, because they did the superficial things, that they're going to heaven. And in fact, they sit in church service after church service after church service, never allowing the Word of God to penetrate their heart, and they end up in hell. Their God is their stomach or their appetite. They're very selfish-driven. Their glory is actually shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. It has to do with pride. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we live in this age right now. We have a society that, that does exactly that. Woe to those who call good, I'm sorry, evil good and good evil. We have that society. A society exists even right now. The majority of society will look at the church as something evil. They will look at atheism, they would look at things contrary to Scripture as being good. That's ingrained in the fabric of our society now. Those things which in the past were considered to be obscene are now an accepted part of our society. We see the homosexual agenda that is going through our society like wildfire. 
We see, you know, there's the drug thing that's going on now. I mean, we've got Colorado and I believe Washington. It's legalized and it's going to be going throughout this nation. And this nation's not going to get better. I've read through the book of Revelation. We're studying it on, on a Wednesday morning. It's not going to get better. Matter of fact, it's going to get a lot worse. The Pope is wanting to get together. I think I brought it up last week. Pope's wanting to get together with the Jews and to the Muslims and pray for peace. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The only peace that we are to pray for is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. What good does it have if this whole world gets peace or finds peace apart from Jesus Christ? I know they're not going to, but what if they could? What if we prayed for peace and peace came and nobody got right with Christ? What favor have we done them? Matter of fact, we've done them a great disservice. I pray that there's no peace whatsoever in this world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason for our swagger <clears throat> have to do with the facts of our future. Verses 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, this body of flesh, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. What chapter 3 represents is the Apostle Paul's, and it should be all of ours, biography. Again, verses 1-11 through 11 of chapter 3 we saw Paul's spiritual past. You should be able to read verses 1 through 11. You should be able to alter it a little bit and plug your spiritual past in there as well. Verses 12 through 16, we saw Paul's spiritual present. Even though I'm in jail, he said, even though there's trials and tribulations in this life, I have not stopped reaching forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, he says, that's the one thing... That's the focal point of my life. Why would he say that's the one thing that I do? Because I think it was hard for him. I don't think he just did it, what we would say, naturally. I think he had those times when he was in prison and he was thinking, is this how it's going to end? After all of the churches, after all of the conversions, is this really how it's going to end? And then he would say to him, wait a minute, no, I can't go there. I can't have the pity party. Because people are dying and people are going to hell. And if the church stops reaching forward, then, well, we've lost our seasoning and we are of absolutely no use. And so Paul says, the one thing I do, he's got to focus on this, is leaving those things of the past which are in the past, and I'm sure even his present, and reach forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus. And the higher calling in Christ Jesus was for Paul to continue on and what he knew the Lord called him to do. And as I did say last week, you're probably not going to write a book of the Bible. Matter of fact, guarantee you're not. It's already written. And it says, don't try to add to it. That's a bad thing. But whatever it is that God has called you to do, do so with all of your heart. Do so with all of your heart. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to bring, I don't know what it's, what, how the Lord's going to use it or anything like that. But the one thing I do know is, it's going to bring pleasure to the heart of the Lord. And just think about that. Think about that. You are able to bring pleasure to God of the universe. And is all you have to do is simply do what He's called you to do and continue to do until He says, don't do it anymore. And that's going to be when He calls you home. Verses 1-11, through 11, Paul's spiritual past. Verses 12-16, through 16, his spiritual present. Verses 17-21, through 21, we see Paul's spiritual future. 
I said earlier, in order to acquire a swagger, you must have a confident knowledge and assurance of your future. Abraham, Abraham had swagger in that God called him to go. God told him to go, commanded him to go. And what did Abraham do? He went. It was going without knowing. He was to go to this foreign land, and he went into this foreign land. Didn't do everything perfectly. There was this situation <clears throat> in Egypt, the denial of his wife, and just kind of all kinds of stuff. But he did go, and that's the fact of the matter. There was Moses. Moses, Hebrews chapter 11, gives us some pretty neat insight. Verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, if I told you that God appeared to me last night, and he told me, well, he gave me these, I I don't know how many, there are five or six numbers. And he told me to tell you these five or six numbers. And these five or six numbers that if you go down to your local 7-Eleven and go to the lottery counter and you enter those numbers in, now you'll get $450 million. That'd be an exciting thing. What would you do with it? Well, I could, I'd give some to the church. Uh, I'd fund maybe some missionaries. And then I'd buy a whole lot of junk for myself. And we look at that. Well, what if I did that and you had $450 million in your hand and then I told you God wants it. And he's asking you to, to give it back. Not give it back to the store, but give it back to him. You know, all of it in somehow, some way, without benefiting yourself even whatsoever. Well, it would be a hard thing to do. It'd be hard. But that's what Moses did. He was prince of the most powerful nation in the world at his day. He had everything. Everything at his disposal. But he recognized the call of God upon his life. And he realized that's the higher calling. Because I don't know to what degree or what capacity he understood, or if he would even use this terminology. But he realized that, well, everything that this nation, everything that this world can offer me, one day is going to burn. And it's going to be gone. And let's just say, you say, Pastor Mike, take a hike. I'm keeping the $450 million. You get the mansion, you get the cars, you get everything that comes with it, and you're sitting there. But you know... One day, you're going to have to stand before God. You're going to have to stand before God and give an account. And one of the things you give an account of, what is your priorities? Is your priorities the things of this world? Or are your priorities the things of the next one? Are they the things of the kingdom of heaven? Or are they the things of the kingdom of man? Egypt today, well, maybe you'd go and visit it to look at the pyramids and everything, but if they take that stuff out, why would you even go to Egypt today? They lost it all. They're a third world country and I have to examine myself I have to examine truly what are my priorities what have I made as the priority in my life now making Jesus the priority in your life maybe you'll end up in a jail cell you'll still hear the tick tock of the clock but you won't be able to wait you won't be able to wait until you can look into the eyes of your Lord you won't be able to wait until you'll be able to hear his voice telling you well done my faithful son You won't be able to wait until you're in this kingdom of heaven and part of that heavenly choir. There are those who have it all here on earth, but they realize they have absolutely nothing. 
There are those here who have absolutely nothing, but they understand they got it all. Philippians 20 through 21, again, chapter 3, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue, even to subdue all things to himself. Father, oh, how our hearts yearn within us that, Lord, that one day that we will be with you. And Father, there's just so much of this world that draws our attention. There's so much distraction that is out there. But Lord, you died, and you died for me personally. You died, Father, for the church in a very personal way. Because Lord, you want to meet each and every one of us exactly where we are at. But Father, there is that, there is that attraction of the world. The attraction of the world, Lord, that can be so strong. And so, Father, once again, we just need to look at ourselves to understand, Father, the, the shortcomings, Lord, that we have exhibited in our Christian lives. And, Lord, we need to rise up and we need to stand up through the power of your Spirit and be the church that you have called us to be. And so, Father, enable us in that ministry that we would see revival once again come into this land just because, or even if it's a select few today, just simply did what you called them to do. So, Father, we just thank you for this day, and we just praise you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. We all stand, please?